I'm Hunter. And I'm Clay. And you're listening to episode two of The Good Fight. Welcome back. For all of you who listened to our first episode and are back for more, thank you. Anybody who's new, this is their first time listening, we appreciate you. Uh, we just want to plug our Twitter page, which uh, we just got up. You can follow us at The Good Fight Pod. Follow us there. We'll have all of our podcasts placed there. You can vote on our Super Fight Battles, which will, again, take place at the end of the episodes, and uh, just kind of follow with all things we've got going on. But we're going to kick things off today with a sport we did not cover last time, that being the NHL. And Clay's going to jump in here. So last week we didn't get into it. The offseason here, not a lot going on, but there have been a couple big free agent signings in the last few weeks. So yesterday, Dylan Larkin re-signed with the Red Wings, uh, $6.1 million a year over five years. Pretty big contract for him. Um, big year last year, 63 points. The other big notable one, August 4th, John Gibson signs a huge eight-year, $6.4 million a year with the Ducks, re-signing for $51.2 million. That signs him all the way through 2026, 2027. A uh, long ways away, and I think you know they saw his potential and the franchise that he can help build there in Anaheim as a goalie. Last year, having 31 wins and having a 926 save percentage over 60 games played as a goalie is just a remarkable season, and I think everyone remembers him from Team USA winning gold with them in World Juniors back in the day, and he's you know a household name, and I think he's finally getting the money he deserves, and I'm excited to see that. And lastly, William Carlson re-signs just a one-year deal with the Vegas Golden Knights after their historic run last year. One year, $5.25 million. I think it's one of those years they want to make sure last year's uh, 78.43 goal performance year wasn't a fluke. Finished the season plus 49 and obviously took them to the Stanley Cup playoffs and the Stanley Cup final. But I think signing a one-year hopefully gives him a chance to prove himself again and show that it wasn't just a one-year thing, and then we'll get his massive deal next year uh, following another great season this year. So that's about the catch-up on NHL free agency. Been a lot of signings, but as of lately, those are the big ones ever since the Tavares signings. In the NBA world, we didn't have much news dropped from any teams in particular. The biggest update since our last episode was the full NBA schedule finally dropped. For Bucks fans, the point of interest is that the Bucks have... 18 nationally televised games. Those will be on ABC, ESPN, and TNT. So there's about a nationally televised game every uh, every two weeks on average. They have a couple weeks where they have multiple in a single week. The other point of interest for the Bucks is that based on the Vegas uh, over-unders for all teams, uh, they're tied for the third easiest schedule. Now, in the NBA, you play every team at least twice, but you can differentiate in your own conference based on if you're playing teams three or four times, and they ended up obviously being an Eastern Conference team, they'll have a little bit easier schedule. So I think the win percentage projected for their opponents this year is 491. So uh, maybe that'll give them a little bit of an easier road. Their projected over-under for Vegas is 46.5. They won 44 games last year, so new coaching staff, player development, the hope will be that they can jump up you know, four or five or potentially more wins this coming year. Well, I think it's just fun to watch, too, the impact that someone like Jonas makes out there, the Greek freak, you know, obviously coming in, giving them a chance to get more televised games and be on the air more often for people to see Milwaukee's finally hitting the map as a basketball team. And I think it's fun to watch. And especially, like you said, with a dominant Western Conference, I think there's no doubt that they can be the team to come out of the East. I think you give the easy schedule. That's yeah, hard to 
talk about too much with before the season starts. You don't know how teams are going to look, but based on preseason projections, I think it's going to be a fun year to watch them. And we won't shame Clay too much for saying Giannis instead <laughs> of just saying Giannis. It's a silent G, everyone. Silent G, my bad. I, you know, the English major in me wants to always sound out everything the right way, so it throws me a little loop every once in a while. Words are hard. Words are hard. Uh, the Brewers, uh, we, we mentioned them last time and their struggles as of late, and it seems like they often do well. Last year they were leading the division going into the All-Star break and collapsed down the stretch, and their losing ways seemed to continue last night with a 10-1 thrashing, but uh, where are they at in the standings? Well, and... It's hard for me right now because my two favorite teams are the Atlanta Braves and Milwaukee Brewers, so it was kind of a hit and miss last night. With I was excited about Atlanta getting the 10-1 win. Atlanta moves into first place in their division, tied with Philadelphia. Um, Cubs are still leading that division, but Milwaukee is sitting in a wild card spot right now, um, sitting one game above Arizona and the L.A. Dodgers. But as Hunter alluded to, they are 4-6 and six in their last 10. So kind of on a downward spin here, but they're still sitting in a good spot if they can somehow get some confidence back and, like uh, like Hunter was saying, hopefully get that back and stay strong in that wild card spot. It's not too late, but past years don't seem to inspire hope. So hopefully this one's different. Uh, then we'll get into the main topic for Wisconsin sports, that being the Packer game that was on Thursday, so just a few days ago, finally got NFL football back. Un- understandably... A uh, bulk of the starters didn't play, not, uh, with the exception of Devontae Adams. Most of the big-name Packers didn't really see the field, and then those who were bigger-name players like Devontae, I think he only saw the field for about nine plays. But we got a chance to see a lot of the rookies. Josh Jackson was out there balling. Unfortunately, Jair Alexander didn't get to play, but we got to see Oren Burks quite a bit. I think he got the most snaps of any player on the defense, at least. Um, and we saw a lot of players on the offense. Got to see Kaiser in his first game as a Packer, and we'll break that down a little bit. I know the opening thought that I had, at least watching the game, was largely focused on the defense and the outside linebackers. So Nick Perry and Clay Matthews were sidelined, but you have six other outside linebackers on the team, and their depth hasn't been great lately. So the top two being Vince Beagle and Kyler Fackrell coming in, at least that was what most, uh, including myself, projected. But surprisingly, Reggie Gilbert actually got a lot of action. He saw 54% of the defensive snaps and played pretty well. Yeah, I think from what I actually saw watching the game, he was the most electrifying player on the defense. You know, Fackrell, of course, is still slotted at that number two spot right now. And you, like you said, you, that's who you would expect. But with Gilbert getting the majority of the snaps and the way he played, only coming away with two tackles and one quarterback hit, but... I think the energy he brought off the edge, and you could tell he was getting in the quarterback's head, and that kind of uh, that stat that's not oftentimes looked at is the hurries of a quarterback. And I think he was in their face, he was in their grill, and he's making an impact. And he was just the most fun guy for me to watch in that game. One player I was disappointed in that see was Josh Jones. I know that I loved him coming out of NC State. Big fan of him as a rookie last year, but now he seems he seems to be falling down the depth chart. I'm not sure what the deal is there. He got. 14 snaps in the game as opposed to players like other cornerbacks but then Kentrell Bryce getting a lot of run Marwin Evans got a lot of run at safety and we didn't get to see a lot of Josh Jones and we haven't seen a lot of him in practice at least with the starters so we'll see what happens there we'll see what they end up doing on the defensive side of the ball point that I heard from a lot of people was the defense didn't look too spectacular under Mike Pettin granted it is a preseason game and we're seeing backups but 
What do you think that was due to? Well, I think just it's the first week of a season and, you know, trying to learn a new defense. Everyone comes in with new terminology and they haven't been in camp very long. And I think sometimes that's not looked at by the fans as much and they don't realize how in-depth some of these defenses and the calls and audibles and terminology is for these guys. So I think very vanilla this first game, but they have the players to make the plays. And I think it was fun to watch them go out and just be players. And I think as the season develops, especially over the preseason, I'm sure it'll be more complex defenses. So I think it'll be fun to watch them bounce back. And once they gain the terminology and gain some confidence and get more of a feel for how everyone fits in, I think some of the hardest part with these preseason games is everyone wants to play. Everyone so, you know, finds that extra adrenaline trying to make the team, especially the twos and the threes, that a lot of times you're running around and that leads to mistakes or being out of your assignment and alignment. So I just think, you know, going forward, it'll be a lot better. But I think, you know, getting the win in the first game and seeing the athletes play, hopefully you see more of the actual scheme of the defense later on. And keep in mind, Packers have a tremendous advantage going into the regular season with a new defensive coordinator. That being that all the film that opposing teams have is either going to have to be on the Browns and the Jets while Mike Pettin was there, or it's going to have to be on Packers players from last year or in the preseason. So the more the Packers kind of keep their cards close to the vest, they can kind of jump out surprise teams once the regular season does get going, pull some things out that other teams will have been unprepared for. It'll be interesting to see how the defense performs over the season as other teams have more and more film to work off of. Uh, then the last thing you said, I know you talked about Oren Burks, but you know I think he's kind of that question mark right now in the defense and getting the most snaps they want to see how he's doing and see what he brings to the table. But, you know, six tackles last night, five total with one assist, led the defense in snaps, but also led the defense in tackles. So I think it'll be fun to see what he does. Yeah, he's a a former safety and cornerback at Vanderbilt who then converted to uh, linebackers. So he's uh, formerly would have been known as a tweener, but in a modern NFL, you need a guy like that, a fast player who can chase down backs out of the backfield. Well, and I remember looking at over him during the combine when they drafted him and kind of rolling my eyes thinking he might be just a combine player, but the coaches at Vanderbilt just praise him nonstop and talk about what a great teammate he is and a guy and the type of player he is and just the motor he brings onto the field. So while I was skeptical at first, I think watching him in that first game was fun, and I hope that he continues to progress. And we talked a lot about the defense, but on offense there were some interesting battles to watch. The most interesting position, I think, for me has been wide receiver. I think that... The difficult part is if we assume that Devontae, Randall, and Geronimo are locks for the roster, now you've got at least four guys who seem to have a pretty compelling case, that being Equinemius, St. Brown, Jamon Moore, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and the new guy, Jake Kumaro, out of Whitewater. Well, I think, you know, those four names might be the coolest names of all time for a wide receiver career. I think you've got to keep them all together, especially when you throw in with Geronimo. Um, but yeah, I think Kumaro is, he's fun to watch and having that whitewater feel and that, that Wisconsin kind of blood going through him. Now, the thing about Kumaro that I think is surprising to most people, you haven't really heard about him a lot prior to this. He has been bouncing around. He was on the Bengals and the Patriots practice squads past couple of years. So it is a bit concerning. He's never been able to make a roster despite being in the NFL a few years. But his measurables are strikingly similar to Jordy Nelson's from a vertical leap, height, weight, speed. All those things seem to point to him being a remarkably similar player measurably to Jordy Nelson. But obviously you've got to have that trust with Aaron Rodgers. I don't ever remember Aaron praising a young receiver like this before. He's 
a reliable player who seems to be able to run great routes. Well, and as we talked about in the last episode, I think it's even more more praising to Kumaro that he's talking about him when he's been talking bad about some of the other wide receivers and talking about the lack of effort and the the struggle he's had with some of the young wide receivers. So for him to praise one while kind of ripping apart the rest, I think is a huge eye-opener to a guy like him hopefully getting another chance to make the roster. But it is, you know, those three, four guys at the top there, statistics-wise, Equinamius with four receptions, 61 yards, Marquise with five receptions and 101 yards with a touchdown, but then Kumaro with three catches, 76 yards, and another touchdown. So uh, fun to watch all of them this last week, and I think it'll be interesting going forward. That's where the most uh, depth is right now, offensively, it looks like at least. And so it'll be interesting to see who makes the team. And obviously all these guys played with the backup quarterbacks. And so we saw Tim Boyle, he looked pretty decent, and then Brett Hundley and Deshaun Kaiser. But we didn't get to see any of them with Aaron Rodgers. And ultimately what matters is can they play with Aaron Rodgers? I'll be interested to see Kumaro there because Rodgers loves to be able to know exactly where a receiver is going to be, anticipate throws, throw the ball in advance of a receiver making a cut. But if you're not you know, totally confident when they're going to make that cut, that the ball is going to be in the right place, that was always a problem with Jeff Janis in mm-hmm. past years. So can those players get his trust and get on the field early? Well, I think, like you said, with those three young quarterbacks all stepping up and playing without Aaron Rodgers, I think all three of them trying to prove themselves a little bit. Uh, not the greatest completion percentage from each of them throwing in completions, but the one thing I did like... Uh, all three of them had a pass of over 40 yards. Hundley's longest was 48. Boyle had a 52-yard pass, and Kaiser had a 51. So they weren't afraid to take some chances and to air it out, especially with this young wide receivers that you know we have a lot of speed right now. So it was fun to watch all three of them kind of take their shots and go for it. And while Hundley did finish with the least amount of yards, only throwing for 108, he did have the highest completion percentage at 64.3. So I think across the board, all three of them, nothing spectacular from the three quarterbacks, but also nothing to kind of bat our eyes at. So again, Tim Boyle is fun to watch. That fourth guy kind of get in on the roster, and especially in preseason. I know Callahan in the past and some of those guys has been fun to watch, but I was really excited about Kaiser, and I'm upset that he only you know completed 50% of his passes and took two sacks, but you know you still see the arm strength, you see the potential, and throwing for 134 yards leading the way in that category was fun to watch. And oftentimes the Packers carry two quarterbacks, though the last time Aaron Rodgers went down for an extended time, we saw them carry three. Uh, Now the question will be whether or not Kaiser and Hundley can both hang on to the roster. As far as Tim Boyle, I would have to say that guy's got a snowflakes chance in hell at making the 53-man, but he's really playing for a practice squad role, or he's trying to make an audition tape for some other teams. Mm -hmm. Regarding Kumaro, the negative on him, he's 26 years old and he's got a one-year contract, so... For him to impress this year and make the roster would then make it difficult because that means you have to likely cut either Scantling, St. Brown, or Jamon Moore, the guys you invested draft capital in, and who you have under contract for four years with more potential. I think that Kumaro, for me, the guy he reminds me of is Geronimo, a guy who's in a similar position. And the question is, do you have space for two players like that, smart practice guys who eventually earn their way onto the roster by having trust with Rodgers. Your closing line right there, I think, says it all. That's what got Geronimo on in the past was building that rapport with Aaron Rodgers. And that, like you said, no matter how good you shine with these three other quarterbacks, the real teller is how are you going to play with Aaron Rodgers? How is the chemistry there going to be? And if Kumaro has that, 
I think there's no reason he doesn't have a shot at maybe making the team or at least making the practice squad. But you're right, you know, we draft so many wide receivers and have such depth there, it's hard to keep a guy like that when you just put all this potential and hope into these draft picks. We're going to jump into our next segment, which is the good fight, the faith in sports. And with that, we have Case Keenum, former Vikings quarterback last year, led them to the NFC Championship game, who's now with the Denver Broncos. Yeah, so the Gazette released an article yesterday um, that actually would have been released this morning about Case Keenum, talking about his book, which will be published September 4th, week one of the Broncos season, called Playing for More, Trust Beyond What You Can Say. Uh, His book and his life kind of talk about how everything he's had in his entire life is rooted around his faith in Christ, and that's been the starting point of everything. that He talks about how during that Minnesota miracle, God had his fingerprints on that one. He discusses how he prays all the time while in uniform, in the locker room before practice, at halftime during games, and with teammates whenever he can, or for teammates, especially during injuries. So one of the cool quotes from the article says, I've always prayed that no matter what happens, I will let my light shine. It's a lesson I learned early in college. We've been given these talents to maximize our talents to glorify God. That's why we're here. And I think it's just such a testament to a guy like this coming from you know, small school in Houston and undrafted into the NFL to where he's at now being a you know, highly sought after free agent this last offseason going into his sixth, sixth season in the NFL. And it's just fun to watch a guy like that at the highest level, playing at the highest rate in the best league you can play in, showing that his faith is his biggest thing. Yeah, he was a under-recruited player coming out of high school, and then at Houston, it was highly prolific. In his three full seasons as starter, he totaled 5,000 yards every season with his last two seasons as a starter, putting over 5,600 yards. He threw for 48 touchdowns and five interceptions his last year at Houston and still went undrafted. And then, now that he's been in the NFL... He's bounced around a couple teams, plays well with the Vikings, and now secures a large contract and a starting role for the Denver Broncos. But he reminds me of one of the priests from St. Norbert College, Father Jim Baraniak. Shout out, JB. He always talked about humility being keeping your feet on the ground and reaching for the stars. And I think Case Keenum has represented that in being humbled by the way his career has gone, but always pushing for more and pushing to be the best he can be and keeping his eyes on God. He's a great example for young players, and he's a great example of a player who doesn't get a lot of press for what he said about his faith and how big a role that's played in his life. Yeah, and that going, you know, shout out JB again, but uh, I think Case Keenum talks about how he finds his faith is what allows him to play the sport. And his one quote from the article says, for me being a believer and knowing it's not up to me to earn acceptance or earn salvation, I know that I don't earn anything by winning or losing. If I give everything I've got, as much as I hate losing, and I really hate losing, it doesn't matter if I win or lose. That's what we're called to do. You leave the results up to him. And I think that's just a perfect example. Case Keenum talked about it. I know Russell Wilson said a similar quote after the Super Bowl that he wasn't defined by his win-loss, but he was defined by his identity in Christ. And I think it was just, it's just such an eye-opening experience to see a leader like this be an example to all the young athletes out there that want to find their faith, You know, that you don't have to shy away from it. And his success, and you know, especially overcoming everything in heat, coming from undrafted in Houston and having all those great stats and expecting all of that to where he's at now, I think is just fun to see his development and seeing how his faith is what helped him overcome being undrafted and overcome, you know, not being recruited very heavily out of high school, but he's kept his faith his entire way through and look at where he's at now. 
So we're sorry to see his success with the Vikings, but happy to <laughs> happy to see him successful overall. Wishing the best of luck in Denver this year. Yeah, hoping he makes it to the AFC Championship and loses to uh, the Packers. Well, wrong, wrong conference. There, makes but. it out of the AFC conference into the Super Bowl. All right, yeah, he can lose to the Packers in the Super Bowl. Fine by me. Let's hope that he makes it out of the AFC to the Super Bowl and loses to the Packers. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a perfect story. Perfect right story. There. Now we're to go to the segment we know you've all been waiting for. <laughs> Super fight round two. I'm not sure if you all saw, but. I wouldn't say a landslide victory. Not as many votes as we hoped for. A lot of listens on episode one, not as many votes on the super fight. But I was fortunate to come out on top with my combination of Jack Bauer, Sniper Rifle, Flaming Antlers. Now, the way super fight works is the winner continues, and then we have a new challenger coming up. Now, the way we're going to play it is if a uh, person is successful in four consecutive fights... They will be retired. So if Jack Bauer and Clay can rattle off three more victories, then he'll move on to his next character. But I had a bit of an interesting draw this time around. In I have a turtle with cement shoes in a giant hamster ball. Now I understand early thoughts are probably <laughs> Jack Bauer by a landslide. Now hear me out. I think that in order for the giant hamster ball to sustain itself and to be workable on a larger uh, scale, it's got to be thicker. It's got to be more durable. I'm going to go so far as to say it's bulletproof at, at its size. Now, obviously, that's for a listener to decide. But I think that the size of it is going to make it difficult for Jack Bauer to simply destroy the, the giant hamster ball. And with the cement shoes that the turtle has on, it's going to have some force behind it, some weight on it. And I think that eventually the turtle's going to be able to just walk that thing and and run them over. I think that's how you kill them. Yeah, you know, I think what's interesting, you know, Jack Bauer's TV show on Fox 24 takes place over an entire day, 24-hour show. He's the most patient guy ever. So normally in a turtle versus the hare type race, you'd take the obvious turtle, which Hunter has, but I don't think I'm the hare in this one. I think that my patience as Jack Bauer with my sniper rifle sitting up high, I know the bulletproof kind of changes things a little bit, but I think there's some creativity that can be there. I don't know how, how it does against fire. I got the flaming antlers as well. I don't know how that'll do towards the uh, hamster wheel, but I think Jack Bauer, you give him 24 hours with this turtle and uh, cement shoes, and I, don't, I still don't see me coming out on the bottom end of this. Well, you know... The turtle also has the shell to protect itself, plus if we're in an amphibious environment, we can duck under the water, sneak up. Well, admittedly, that might be tough on the hamster ball, but let's not worry about it. That's, that's, that's a different argument for a different day. <laughs> anyway, the vote goes to you, the fans. Again, we'll have that poll posted on our Twitter page, at the Good Fight Pod. So go on there, vote. We'll have the poll up for 48 hours and see who you can, uh, if you think we can overcome Clay or if you think that Jack Bauer lives to fight another day. And I'm just, you know, hoping that Jack Bauer makes it three more victories here and we can hang him up on the wall of fame. Anyway, thanks for listening, folks. As always, run the race, keep the faith. And until next time, fight the good fight.